Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Gabe Lezra, and um, I am coming to you uh, from a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Washington, D.C. It's an absolutely gorgeous day, and it's made all the much better because I'm being joined by Kian Sabani, hey Kian, to talk about Real Madrid's first home victory of the season, 2-0 against Espanyol. Woo! Break out the champagne. Three points at the Bernabeu. Let's do it. Woo! Finn, uh, you saw that drawing that uh, Finn Finn put on Managing Madrid on the drawing board where Rick and Morty, who I don't know what mm-hmm. this show was about, but they were searching for a universe where Real Madrid went at the Bernabeu. Well, they found it. They found it. They found it. They found they it. Found it. Um, <laughs> I actually also don't watch Rick and Morty, but I've yeah, heard maybe. I have friends who do. Uh, so, yeah, we um, we'll break down the game, take your questions. As usual, <clears throat> this is our uh, – uh, free wide open show. We're going to be coming back on Wednesday with our patron only VIP show. Um, as always, if you want to get access to that, toss us a couple bucks uh, on Patreon, patreon.com slash managing Madrid. If you toss us five or more dollars per show or uh, you know, on Patreon, then you will get your question answered uh, every single time. And we try to do our best to answer um, as many questions as possible. But if you do give us five bucks more, you'll get your question answered guaranteed. Okay. So, Let's jump right in. Uh, Keon, that first half, I think the main talking point so far that I've seen kind of emerge out of this has been kind of the interaction between uh, Asensio and Ronaldo in particular that uh, people think that Asensio is being a little bit selfish. Mm. And I I wonder how much of that is true um, or how much of that is actually kind of a good thing because I think that you can make the argument that Selfishness is actually an important characteristic in a attacker. Um, you know, this kind of hunger for goal. Ronaldo certainly is a selfish player, and that's good because the dude is a very good scorer and a and a, and a you know, world class attacker. My take on this is that Ronaldo's selfishness is is different from Asensio's because Ronaldo's selfishness is him being selfish in positions where you want him to be selfish almost, if that makes sense. I mean, there are times where, yeah, he could probably pass and um, he doesn't. And But given his track record, given his efficiency, he is literally the most clinical and efficient player of all time. Um, so you want him to be selfish in certain areas, but his passing has also been really good this season. And he had his t- 200th assist today for the club. He had a great assist to East Coast. had some other great passes. I think the difference with Asensio is that as much as we're, we've been hyped about him this season and 
particularly this, you know, the start of the season, in particular, like when he peaked the yeah. two goals against Valencia, we were just losing our minds at how good he was being. Um, lately, he's his passing. He's looked up players in deeper positions, like where, you know, against Sociedad, it was Bale who was wide open on the on the right flank, and if you send him, he's through on goal with his pace, and he just looked him off, and he held onto the ball a bit longer. And today, I thought um, Ronaldo was in a better position where he could have received the ball. I don't know. Like in, in these in most most cases when we get questions like this, I always tend to defend the player because I try to put myself in their shoes. We try to be objective about these things. I don't know like how real this, this quote unquote selfishness is. I do completely agree with everyone saying that he could have made better decisions this year with the ball. But I don't know if it's I do imagine that at one point Ronaldo's just gonna pop. Like he I just feel like Ronaldo's been "Quote unquote," such a good boy this <laughs> this year, where he just yeah. been so like his his link up play has been great, his passing has been great. He's going to deeper positions. He's not really complaining. I just feel like at some point all of this is going to build up and he's going to freak out. <laughs> at, yeah, at I mean, like here. the <clears throat> the the metaphor that I use and that we we see a lot in in other sports is that when when you're this good and you're just not, it's just not kind of following for you exactly. It's like a it's like a ketchup bottle and you're just squeezing and squeezing and then suddenly it just all sprays out everywhere. And like that that's the sense I get from Ronaldo. Like he really is it's no joke. Like he's he's been playing really well in almost every aspect of his uh build up play, uh and and you know, obviously his assisting and passing. And he's getting himself and this is what I you know, I, I mentioned that you know, Cristiano like has his shot more on goal than anyone else in La Liga without scoring and my my take was that it was uh, a little unlucky and he was forcing it occasionally. And I think that's where it is. And it's not that he's like getting worse or whatever, because he's still getting himself into the really you know tough, important positions, the, the kind of play, places that he needs to be in uh, if he's going to continue to play. And like he, you know, he's getting shots that he misses that normally he would make. And eventually you know, those are unlucky and he'll, those will go in. So I, I think the time to worry about him is if he's totally invisible and that's not what he's been at all. No, I agree. Um, and just jumping to a, back to a sense here for a second. I, I think I was trying to measure this by the eye test as best as I could. And I think the statistics kind of confirmed it after the game when I went and looked at the key passes where Asensio had two. Um, and Ronaldo had five on his own. Isco had five on his own. And I saw, I, I always had trouble kind of labeling Isco in that category. I think Isco does hold on to the ball a bit too long, but he um, he also makes a lot of incisive passes. And so does Asensio. Yeah. We know Asensio is an amazing passer. We've seen it time and time again. We saw it against Alaves. Uh, we we've seen it so many times this season when he when he passes, but I think his right. his decision making could use some polishing. Like the theory b- behind most fans is that it's just getting to his head how good he is. Um, I don't know. I don't, if I necessarily. I, buy I don't know that, if I but... buy that. Yeah, <laughs> this is funny. Uh, I, we actually had a criticism that we agree too much, so we're trying to. We need to figure out if we can bring on like Ohm or whatever to like disagree with us more. Um, uh, but yeah, my feeling is always like. In this circumstance, it's actually the easier answer rather than like, oh, it's all going to his head and he's trying to be Superman, do everything. It's actually kind of a more holistic understanding that he's still a young kid who's still kind of coming up. And, you know, one of the things that you work on that that's hardest to kind of learn as you're coming up is your decision making. And the decision making in these crucial areas a lot of time comes down to like 
one half a second where you have to make the decision to you know send the through ball or hang on and and square or take your long distance shot and you know you're as you get older and as you kind of get more experience that's what you learn right in you know in the in the you put yourself in those situations when oh right last time this happened I didn't make this pass now I make this pass and the instinct is there to you know to 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 make the pass rather than try to hang on to it too long or whatever I I, I just yeah. think that. It's still it's it's almost a growing pain, and it's great that he's having it because like it means that he's getting into these crucial positions, and he's good enough to get himself there. Well, I'd be really curious to 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 see what Zidane's take is on this, and if I were there as you know as press tonight, I would have tried a way to kind of get that question in and, and see what he says. Obviously, he'd be very political about it, but I'd be really curious to know because. Um, Obviously, they see what goes on in training. They see, you know, they see it on the pitch. And so, you know, one of the things that we know is that when you have players like Isco and Asensio um, that are so brilliant in the final third, you have to give them a leash. You can't be, you can't give them a short leash because you're limiting their creativity. So you kind of have to live and die with their decisions. Right. Um, And you have to allow them to play in the final third and kind of anything goes at that point. Like you have a general idea of how you want to build up, but you have to leave room for them to make decisions. And, and if they hold on to the ball a bit longer, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt is because they see something that no one else sees. Um, and that's the, you know, that's the kind of live and die um, approach that you have to take with right. these players. But I don't know. I, I, I definitely think that he does need to sharpen his decision-making, you know, and that is something, whether it's intentional or not, whether he has a big head or not, he does need to polish that part of his game, I think. Yeah, it's a good point. It's regardless of why, you know, and I was trying to be a little bit, you know, in my my interpretation is less like, uh, you know, the big head getting to him and more of the other stuff. Um, but regardless, it's still something that he needs to work on regardless of why. So if it's because he's getting a big head, someone needs to knock him down a couple of pegs. And if it's just because he's a young kid working on his game, someone needs to take him you know, under his wing and maybe Ronaldo chewing him out about that ball because we know Bale isn't the type to go up to him and chew him out for not giving him the ball there. But I think Cristiano Ronaldo in a situation where if you put him through, he'd score is, is not going to let uh, Asensio forget that that was an option. <laughs> and that's actually an important thing to, to, to learn as a young player, right? Like that, you know, you need to understand where everyone else is in the pitch and, and someone like Ronaldo is going to remind you like, Hey man, like, give me the ball. <laughs> I was yeah. open. Like this is, and this is a time for me to shoot. And, uh, it's also better for the team. Like it's not just Ronaldo being right. Like egoistic or whatever. It's, it's, it's better for the team. If Ronaldo scores there because then they score. Um, let's see other stuff going forward. I wanted to chat a little bit about, um, Isco who had, I thought, you know, absolutely fantastic game today. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I, th- I think you can give him the case for man of the match. Obviously, um, you know something interesting that Zidane said after the game was that Isco and Ronaldo swapped roles today, um, where Isco was essentially Ronaldo and vice versa. I don't know if he, what he meant by that. I don't know if he meant that it was pre-designed or if that's just kind of how it unfolded with Ronaldo dropping a bit deeper and he was he was playing the assists and Isco was finishing. But either way, um, what I did like about this whole thing was that you know often we we tend to talk about Ronaldo's strengths, which as we should. Um, he's very good in any time, anywhere he has the ball on the pitch. Like if he if he drops deep to retain possession or to provide an outlet, I'm always confident that 
he'll he'll hold on to possession for us. He'll he'll be able to kind of recycle possession and play the right pass right. and not lose the ball. And I think I think he's we you know we don't really talk about that because obviously that's not something that he's made a living off of. That's not what he's known for historically and um he's obviously so incredible at other things that we don't really talk about that. And I think today was a nice opportunity to kind of just remind everybody that, you know, he is this this narrative that he's so selfish and he he's good with with you know when he's not scoring he does other things and you right know, so whether it's sucking defenders in or playing a great pass or or beating someone on the flank and getting across and he he did a lot and I think it was cool to kind of see him in a deeper role and and providing those passes to Isco who who did brilliant you know brilliant job at finishing yeah and that's so that's something that I I wanted to bring up because. Yeah, just 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 to piggyback off of that point, it, 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 you get the sense that Ronaldo is such a good player that you know what Madrid has done is is magnify his best characteristic, right? Which is as a yeah wing it, winger slash striker who's just an incredible finisher and and goal creator. But you also get the sense that if you played Ronaldo right at like center mid, he would still be really good, right? And even at you know center back like he is not a player that's gonna you know get into a position where he's gonna lose the ball in a really tough location or misplace a pass or something he's a actually really good at this sport just kind of generally uh mm-hmm. and good enough to play at like center mid or center back for a lot of other teams at this level and just that he happens to be the arguably the best ever at creating goals in the final third. And so that's where Madrid plays him. But you could definitely see Ronaldo flourishing as a center mid also. Well, um, I mean, I mean, and not that Real Madrid would ever play him there, but um, it's kind of like the story of Real Madrid in a nutshell. Like their whole team is like this, right? Um, Luka Modric, you know, we were questioning the idea of putting him on the right flank last season when yeah. Zidane shifted to the dime with Isco up top, um, just in behind the striker. And... And Modric played the right wing role like better than any traditional right winger I've seen in the past year. It was amazing. Like he, he was a two way presence on the flank. He was beating players. He was crossing the ball in. He was defending. Um, and you know, Ceballos is versatile. Like Isco and Asensio can play multiple positions. Bale and so I think we're we're spoiled in that sense that yeah, it's you know this is what Ronaldo can do, and, and we don't really talk about it. But the whole team is just so versatile. Yeah, and that's it's it's um I think it's just a testament to the way the roster has been constructed that I think there's been a premium put on this versatility. I speaking of versatile, can we just spare a second to talk about Nacho who was absolutely yeah. imperial in this match, not just as the left, you know, the strong defensive presence which he did and once again had a goal-saving tackle, but also shockingly showing up constantly in the attack just like Marcelo was you know, is always asked to do receiving the ball deep, making, you know, incisive runs, stealing the ball, even from people way up the pitch. Like he was really, really, really good on that left wing. I thought, yeah, that's not true. He's been like that all season. I mean, he's been like, he was like that against Dortmund. He was like that against Alaves. Um, it's just such an underrated asset to have someone who can literally put at any position on the back line. Like he could play right back too. If you, you know, and he has, He's like the Gucci of the back line of this era, but more consistent. <laughs> he just like whenever you need him, he's there and he can play in so many positions and he's reliable. Totally. I just 
Yeah, I'm gonna. You know, he's he's so far from having a finished career, but he's one of those players like we don't talk about enough, and we probably won't talk about. But like once he retires, you're gonna miss him. Oh yeah, for sure. Or you know, moves on if he decides to. But the cool thing about him is that he seems to um, want to stick around, which is yeah, good. He likes his role. I mean, you just tip your hat off to him. Like he's he's yeah. an amazing character to have. So let's talk a little bit, and before we jump into questions, I wanted to talk a little bit about Madrid's slowdown at the beginning of the second half, which from minute 45 through minute 70 when they scored the second goal, I thought that mm-hmm. Espanyol really was comfortably in, you know, in, the, in the driver's seat, and it was not something that was particularly fun to watch. Do you, have you thought about like what exactly was going on? Do you think it was just an intensity slowdown? Do you think it was you know, just um, you know, kind of a players getting tired or... I mean, I was trying to figure it out because, like, the first half, Madrid spent almost the whole half in Espanol territory, just hammering the ball in. And in the second half, you know, Espanol came out with a number of important good chances. And Madrid's defense just, you know, started to look really bad, you know, with Espanol getting balls behind Ramos and Maran, including a, a time when, you know, the, the man appeared to be one-on-one with Kaler and then Maran, you know, used his speed to to, to overtake him. But... I, I, I'm, I'm interested in your take on that that particular period of time. Well, my take is on this is that um, so Espanol started the first half and essentially played the entire first half with every single player behind the ball. And there were moments I actually noted in the first half where they actually had nine to ten players in their own box. Um, and and that's fine. I mean, I, I think Kike Sanchez Flores probably just looked at Kike Setien's playbook from the Bernabeu earlier this season and and was like, well, that worked. So, you know, let's let's try it. And right. I think he probably took it an even more extreme level. But what I thought, I, and I, I knew eventually they would have to open up um, in the second half being down a goal. And I thought it would come closer to like the 70, 75th minute mark. I didn't think it would come like right out at the second half. But I think that's essentially what what happened was... They kind of just um, they uncuffed themselves from these defensive, you know, duties, and they started to press high a little bit, and they started to put pressure on Real Madrid's high defensive line, and and especially when Nacho and Ashraf were caught up the field, they they were able to to go get these through balls, which Varane had to had to just close off last second, or Nacho coming in to to save Ramos's blushes, blushes with that giveaway in the second half. And I think Real Madrid probably didn't expect Espanyol to do that right away. Like, I think they just, they finished the first half being accustomed to what Espanyol were doing. They probably started the second half with the game plan, thinking that Espanyol were just going to bunker up. And Espanyol, they, they just went forward. And, they, and, you know, the interesting thing was they didn't even really sacrifice their defensive shape until a bit later, like, and you saw with the second goal with when Real Madrid had numbers in the counter and they essentially just finished Espanyol off. But I think that was the biggest thing is that Kike really changed things at halftime in terms of his philosophy. Um, he he pressed high. He he ventured forward a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and I thought they still they within reason they kept their defensive shape and Real Madrid just were caught off guard with it. Yeah, and the it's it's interesting, right? The Setien playbook it it did work, right, for Betis. But I would if I were it required some luck too. It really did, though, right? Like, Madrid took so many shots. Like, they hit the post twice. Like, the the playbook, you know, I think you'd be happy. You have to be a little bit crazy to think that that was going to work every game for you or even, like, give you a real shot because, like, 
Madrid had scored in 73 games going into that match, and the only reason they didn't score is because of all the different things that had to go wrong. So, yeah, that was the kind of game where if you're analyzing that as a coach looking for ways to attack Madrid, there were ways that were flaws in that match. But the idea that you would bunker in against a side that can create this kind of, like the number of goals that this this that Madrid would normally just kind of fall into is a little silly, <laughs> I thought. And yeah. it was nice to see, you know, look, obviously I didn't enjoy it. It was nerve wracking, but it was good to see Kike come out with that kind of positive attitude in the second half. Uh, and and release because this Espanol team is not bad. No, it's not. And um, they kind of made a surge towards the you know the second half of last season and and maybe regress a little bit this season. But I think they're they're good enough. Um, I would say that you know something that interesting that Zidane said after the game, and he's usually not this candid about um, terms of he, like his answers are usually very political. He's, I felt he was a bit more candid than usual today. And someone had asked him about why do Real Madrid struggle at home, and he essentially said, "Like, like, look, we can go to Dortmund, um, and who was the other one? Uh, I think he said Sociedad, who are essentially better teams than Espanol. But when you play away from home, you're also playing against teams who are not in their shell, right? So when teams come to the Bernabeu, especially teams with less talent, they're going to bunker up. And I think that is part of the reason we struggle. And he's, he mentioned that. Yeah. Um, so that, that was interesting. And I, and I kind of, you know, it was, it was interesting to hear it from him. Um, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Like, this is, this is kind of part of the reason why we do struggle at home. It's, it's, it's for this reason. I think if I were a team against Real Madrid at home, even a bigger team, I'd consider playing the same way, to be honest. But Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think the next um, topic that I wanted to get into is actually a topic that some of our patrons uh, asked about. So let's just go right into the questions, um, unless we have any other things that you wanted to mention, Kian, before we jump into these questions. Um, no, I think, I think they'll probably get covered in the questions. Yeah. Um, okay, so the, the topic that I was going to jump to next, and I see that we have two questions about it, is um, Ashraf Hakimi, who made his first team La Liga starting debut, the youngster. Um, and uh, let's just let's just read the question so we can chat about it. Um, Guled Ishmael asked us, what do you guys think of Ashraf today? And Drauzi Dos Santos asked us, um, what did you guys make of Hakimi's debut, and what chances do you think he has to become a regular starter at some point during the next five seasons or so? Um, so yeah, what do we think about Ashraf? I so my feeling was there was a lot to like about this debut actually, and um, there were some you know obvious you know mind farts and and times where he got burned, but uh, overall I was I was I was much more willing to take the optimistic viewpoint, going you know projecting him forward than. Than you know the negative. Yeah, no, I agree. I like in the first half in particular, my Twitter feed was like having an orgasm over him, and <laughs> I, <laughs> I I didn't uh, I didn't think he was like otherworldly good, and maybe I was I was a bit more cautious with it, cautious with it. He had um, he got burned once at least in the first half that led to a chance for Espanol, um, and he had a couple couple. Miss, miss misplaced crosses but he also recovered from that play by tracking back and regaining possessions and he had a couple of really good crosses too and I thought overall you know for a player who's making his home debut or La Liga debut at the Bernabeu 
I thought he did really well. Um, yeah. And he I, definitely I really, positively... I really, yeah, I really don't want to complain about him. I, th- I thought he was good. He, posit- he had a very real positive contribution to both Madrid's attack and defense, despite kind of some of the lapses. Like there were a couple times where he just kind of dribbled into someone and lost yeah. the ball. Yeah. A couple times where he got burned. But overall, like this is a, this wasn't just a, a you know a negative thing. This was actually quite a quite a solid first debut. Um, I it's hard for I mean the dude is what eighteen. So like it's this is a this is a, one of the youngest players on the squad and. This is his first, you know, first first time there, and and there's a lot to like in in his profile. He profiles very speedy, you know, offensively and you know, capable and defensively solid right back. I I was very impressed that in minute 89, right, he, there was a there was a counterattack. Madrid up two nothing, and Espanyol to counter and maybe get a goal back, and absolutely the only person. You know, that could do anything. It was it was a shroff, and he just kind of blazed out of nowhere to steal yeah. the ball. Very impressive. Yeah, I thought very impressive. Generally, getting back um, and making up for his mistakes like that—that's a big and important part of playing in the you know on the wings in the back. You have to be speedy, and you have to know exactly when to to get the hell back. Yeah, uh, and he definitely has that instinct. So I, I I was I was pleased by that. Yeah, his pace is amazing, and um, this is something I mentioned last season too. Is that you know watching with Castilla. Um, it was interesting because any time that he was caught at a position, he could catch up to a player that had caught him out with the ball um, and just sprint back and, and retain possession. He's that quick. Like, you can have a head start on him and it doesn't matter, and he'll get back and he'll, you know, that, and that's such a massive asset as a as a wingback. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so becoming a regular starter in the next five seasons or so, no, I don't. I don't think so. Donny Carvajal is young enough that without any injuries, and obviously that's you know the knock on wood thing. Without any major injuries to Carvajal, I don't see uh, Ashraf taking him over, taking over for the next five seasons. Though I, I also could see him going out on loan. I could also see him uh, sticking around at Madrid as the backup right back uh, heir apparent, um, because Carvajal is a, you know what four or five years older than him, mm-hmm. um, just like Baran was for Pepe. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think, though, in the next five years, absent some injury to Carvajal, he'll take over. Yeah, I mean, Carvajal is only 25, and sometimes that's crazy enough to even just think about how long he's been around. He's only 25. Um, he's So he's seven years older than Atrap. I mean, it's a good question. Like, these questions are so hard to answer because um, it's it's almost impossible to predict what happens a year from now. And five years is like a whole other era in my views. <laughs> Um, but Carvajal is definitely assuming that he continues to play at a high level. He's still the starter. I don't know what Ashraf turns into and what his role in the team turns into. You might be right. Maybe it might be alone. Maybe it might just be a guy who rotates heavily into the squad, like a Nacho or something, and gives Carvajal rest. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, just remember, like I, I think that the best case scenario is looking something, you know. A, Assuming it, you know, the kind of general pace of improvement, like something like Baran, right, where you came in yeah. as a kind of sensational teenager and you, he kind of importantly rotates in the squad and, and someone you can become someone you can really trust and then uh, understands that when it's time for the guy to move on, he's the guy who's ready. And 
you know, he's 18, so in five years, Carvajal will be 30, and he'll be 23, and that's exactly when Varane basically took over for Pepe. So it's not a bad model. But that being said, Kian, I totally agree. One of the things that people really do, and it's kind of dumb, is really try to project so far in the future with with these lineups. And, like, someone's like, oh, well, in you know, 2022 Real Madrid's lineup will be like Odegaard and Vinicius and Asensio and all this shit. And like, you have no idea. Like, we don't have any idea what's going to happen. Like, Barcelona might not even be in the Spanish league in 2022. <laughs> I mean, here's but, the uh, thing. Even <laughs> even the the manager doesn't know this answer, answer to this question. I mean, we barely know what the, the, the lineup next year is going to look like. So like, yeah. You know, next month, like fuck, <laughs> this is the it's hard. But yeah. like the the best thing you can do to make prepare for the future is to have young good players, and that's what Madrid is built in this lineup right now. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, Blake Brown. So I want to apologize. Last podcast, uh, or maybe last, I don't know which podcast, but la- one of the ones recently, uh, I mentioned that it was probably Blake. I thought it was Blake's first question. It was not. Um, Blake has been a patron for at least uh, for about a year. So I, I'm sorry, dude, that was big time. My bad. Um, so Blake says, um, another win really good to see it at home. The season, um, this season there has been, uh, has there been two more important players than Isco and Bale? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I think it's hard to, it's hard to argue with that actually. I mean, Bale has obviously been, really on fire this season and Isco has been crucial. So, yeah, I mean, it kind of varies from game to game. Um, Bale has been huge. Isco has been huge. Asensio um, earlier in the season was, was massive and like huge against Valencia. Um, A player like Luka Modric. Right. Like that's like, he, you know, what's funny is that with Modric, like we always have a man of the match and, Luka Modric is always like either second or like probably in contention for man of the match himself. Like he's always a man of the match alongside the man of the match uh, because he's just so consistently good for us. And I think Modric is a huge case. Cruz, I think, has been really great. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, Isco and Bale have been huge offensively, especially in the in time of, um, you know, Ronaldo wasn't around in La Liga for five games. Benzema's been injured, so... They, we need someone to pick up the scoring slack. And between Isco, Bale, and Asensio, I think those three, if they can combine like for like, I don't know, thirty-five goals among the three, the three of them, that would be. I think we'd be pretty happy with that, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so moving on, Jimmy uh, Obeid asks us um, first. One, he wants to know. Thank you to all of you who um, have chipped into our pa- page. This is not Jimmy; just me saying. Like, thank you all, Jimmy. You especially. Thank you for. Uh, for your donations is awesome. Um, we uh, really appreciate it, and it helps us. Um, you know, obviously, I think that the podcast sounds better now than it did even a few months ago because uh, we've upgraded mics and software. Mm-hmm. So um, that's 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 going on. Um, so yeah, so Jimmy asks, um, uh, when all the BBC is healthy, um, <laughs> Jesus returns riding a Harley. <laughs> Who will Zidane start in the big games? Isco, Benzema, or Bale? Will the starting spots be rationed out? Um, yeah, I mean that's that's the billion dollar question. In the in a hypothetical Champions League final with everyone um, with everyone healthy, it's hard to imagine sitting Isco. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, obviously people haven't been healthy together yet. I think that the the thing to remember is that there's always going to be a next game. Uh, and so there will be rationing and, and rotating even in what we would call big games. So, like, it's possible, like, you know, against Atletico, like, you know, everyone will be healthy, but he'll start Bale, Ronaldo, Isco, um, or, you know, Asensio, Ronaldo, Isco, or Asensio, Ronaldo, Bale, or Asensio, Benzema, like any combination of those players up front, or I'll do a 4-4-2 dropping Bale back with Ronaldo and Benzema or something. But I think that, you know, my my take, Keon, is that going forward, like we're still going to see rotations, even what we would call big games, um, just because I think Zidane is still drilling into his players' heads that this isn't a case where uh, a rotated lineup isn't the best lineup. Like each one of these players feels very important on the side. So I, I don't know. Maybe that's a cop out. No, I, you know, it's not because, you know, it's funny. We always say by we, I don't know, some you know, fans, some fans, they always say, well, Isco should leave because he's not a starter. He's not appreciated. I mean, and, and he's he's played almost every game. He started every game just by default. And this has been like a recurring thing for like a year now, at least, where it's just everyone being healthy is is almost like mythical now at this point. Like Jimmy said, like when Jesus returns riding Harley, like it's very possible last time BBC was healthy and everybody was healthy. It was this, the same time Jesus was still on the earth. I don't know. It <laughs> seems, and I, I almost forget. Like I just, I honestly, but here's the thing, like, rotations will be a thing you know throughout the season so in a way it doesn't matter who starts um the only time rotations won't be a thing is in a do or die game so in a champions league knockout stage in the final um like you know the must win games in la liga and then if everybody is healthy in that scenario who is it that gets dropped and in my opinion it should be benzema because i agree you know, <laughs> we kind of got, saw a glimpse of it in Dortmund with Isco, Bale, and Ronaldo together. And I thought, and I think, and we saw it, you know, we've seen it a couple times last season too, and I think that is the best way to go. Uh, so I just wanted to also um, shout out Leo Wiles Shadid asked us um, about Ashraf and whether he starts against Tottenham. I think... Uh, there's a long time before a match against Tottenham, my man. So I, I don't think Donny Carvajal will be out then. So I, I don't know. Is that is there some new thing, Kian, that we know that Carvajal will be out? We just when, like in mid October. Well, he he has been diagnosed for maybe about a month, so I don't know. Okay, so he may be he may be still out. He may be back. Um, anyways, I, I think if assuming that so let's just for for purposes of discussion, assuming he's out, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think so. I think it's probably Ram, uh, Nacho on that side and Marcelo on the other side. Or Teo. I'm not sure when Marcelo. I can't remember off the top of my head when. I'm pretty Marcelo. sure Marcelo is is coming back more sooner than Carvajal. Okay. Yeah. Um, in that case, it's it's for sure going to be Nacho at right back. Um, because you know Tottenham's a real tough team, so I I, I find it hard to imagine starting a kid against Harry Kane and yeah. Deli Alley and yeah. Ericsson. Um, all right, Nate McDougal, I'm really glad you sent this, my man, because I did not understand. But last week you sent us a question um, about the definition or about the five four three two one rule, and we just now you've explained it, and that makes sense. 
Um, it's a list of Ronaldo's trophies, five Ballon d'Or, he will win it this year, four Champions League, three Premier Leagues, two La Ligas, and one Euro, Euro Cup. So just wondering uh, if you guys knew of any player who could compete with that trophy count. Um, I mean, obviously Messi uh, is the one that, that comes to mind, but the thing is that Messi hasn't won anything with his national team. So, you know, it's the one at the end there that really stands out in terms of Messi's trophy cabinet. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, that's tough. Uh, yeah, I mean, and uh, I th- going back to Nate's question last week, he, I think this was on the patron-only podcast, so I think he asked... Um, uh, besides Messi, is there anyone that can basically rival this? And I can't think of it. Like the the closest person after Messi to be close to Ronaldo's five Ballon d'Ors would be um, Cruyff, and I think Platini had three each. And so it, it almost has to be someone who hasn't gotten there yet. So someone like Neymar or someone Mbappe in the future. I don't know. Um, but then they also need to be prolific they need to they need to get a lot of trophies (laughs) they need to win internationally so i don't know i you know football proves us wrong all the time but i'm not sure if it happens anytime soon i don't know ronaldo has moved between leagues which messi never did so messi has not had the opportunity to win three premier leagues but he's also won quite a few more ligas right (laughs) um uh, i don't know this is a tough question i i mean we're in. I think it's important to remember that we're in an era of these kind of absolute super player gods. With Ronaldo and Messi are rewriting record book after record book of a sport that's been around for a hundred years plus. Like these guys are really that good. Like this is, you know, the Pele, George Best, Maradona level. Um, the Stefano. Like this is the the level of players these guys are. Like we're lucky that we get to experience them, and we're incredibly lucky we have Ronaldo on our team. Um, and it's, you know, despite how much I despise him and despite the fact that he is literally carrying Barcelona by himself right now, given how bad Suarez is, it's great. It's incredible that we get to watch Messi also. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I know that Barcelona fans, uh, wouldn't give us the same respect regarding Ronaldo or a lot of them wouldn't, but I, I think that it's really lucky that we're watching both of these guys at the same time. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Georgi Sinsadze, J. I think that's a DZE. It's hard to pronounce that last one. Um, what books? Oh, this is an awesome question. What books would you recommend about the history of Real Madrid and or Spanish football that are available in English? All right. So just off the top of my head, Keon is writing a book right now that I think you should you should buy when it comes out. Obviously. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, it won't necessarily be about Real Madrid's history, but it's it's going to be about Florentino and some of the more uh, modern, you know, modern history about the club. In addition to Keon's book, um, I would recommend Sid Lowe's book. I mean, that's really the, the the kind of gold standard. It's called Fear and Loathing in La Liga, and it's it's a history of Spanish soccer, kind of generally uh, from Franco up through uh, through now. Um, I I really think that, like I said, I think that's the gold standard. And then there are all the, like all these other books written by kind of journalists about individual teams. Like um, I know that. You know, enemy of mine, Graham Hunter has a couple of books about Barcelona and how they're the best team ever. I'm just, I'd make jokes about that. That's not, he's not an enemy of mine. I just made one comment about him once that he took it angrily. But, uh, and, um, you know, th- there are plenty of other books. So I would just Google around, like maybe you'll see, um, with respect to your, your favorite journalists, see if they've, they've written books. Like obviously, um, Keon and <laughs> Sid are, 
you know, are going to, and Will and Sid has done the great book. So that's well, where I was. You for sure also have to check out Stephen Mandis's book, The Real Madrid Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is not right. necessarily God, about the history. So rude. <laughs> well, it's not necessarily about the history of La Liga or history about Real Madrid, but it gives you an amazing insight about kind of just the yeah. machinery and the brand and what Florentino has achieved and the values of the club, all of that. And that is a must read, The Real Madrid Way. Yeah, sorry, and sorry, Stephen, if you're listening to this. That's my bad. I obviously get Stephen's book. It's really good. Um, I uh, was one of the, you know, I read it over, helped, um, you know, toss in some some thoughts, and I think it's a really well done piece about, um, you know, all the different things that go into why, you know, making Real Madrid the club that it has been. And one of the cool things about the book is that it was written during, and you know, the La Decima season uh, about how Madrid's culture of winning is uh, such an important part of the club. And it's interesting because it's actually kind of prophetic about how the club would move on from, you know, a period where, yeah, they'd been close to the peak, but then has really become this kind of global dominant superpower uh, in Europe and in in Spain, uh, you know, and really kind of isolating and pointing to the parts of the culture, the culture and the history of the club that they created that culture that, uh, that Madrid has called upon time after time, you know, when going through tough situations in this run of form that, that, you know, in this run of trophies that hadn't actually happened when the book was being written. So I thought that that's, you know, it, it, it presaged a, this, this incredible run from Real Madrid. So that's very cool too. Mm. Um, all right. So we have um, time to a couple, you know, maybe one or two questions from people that um, don't have guaranteed questions. I wanted to jump right to this one. Elian Zacco uh, he repeats his question. He's on a crusade against Kaler. Um, and I, I just want to say, ma'am, we have answered this question before, but let's just really quickly. Do you th- really think that Kaler Navas is world class, let alone Real Madrid level? Uh, and then he ma- points out he makes fundamental goalkeeper mistakes in every match. Uh, he also never catches easy shots. Um, he does. Uh, he make matters worse uh, because those shots don't have that much power on them. He fails to parry them far from his own goal. Uh, he, you're saying, all in all, I think Kaylin Navas is a good keeper, but not good enough for Real Madrid. Um, I don't agree at all with this. So that's and that's fine. We can disagree, my man. But that's, um, I mean, I would just say, look at look at the scoreboard. Like this team has done accomplished amazing things with Kaylin and goal, and he has continually risen to that level of you know grabbing incredibly important stops and it's interesting that you would send this question to us after a game where Kaler was huge for Madrid and came up big time after time <laughs> including a couple of times and it was really just one-on-one that he stopped so yeah. it's interesting to, to hear this question after this match I'm I don't really have anything to add. I feel like this is almost like a copy and paste of Elian's question a few podcasts ago where he said these exact same things. I may have been right after his the Betis game, actually. Um, well, I'm also confused that he says uh, this rating of Kaler is not only based on his mistakes like the own goal versus Betis. Did he score an own goal versus Betis that I'm missing? No, 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 no. That wasn't an own goal against Betis. That, I, I don't really that? know what that- I, I don't know what this is about. This is maybe with Valencia. I, I just, I don't know. There was a sh- the game against Sociedad where I think he let in a pr- relatively easy shot, right? I don't know what you're talking about, man. Maybe. Um, well, at any rate, he was brilliant today. Um, in a way, yep. I, I can kind of see, like, yeah, he's had he's made mistakes in the past season or two. 
after his brilliant um, performance two seasons ago. Yeah, maybe he's not all black. Maybe he's not newer. Maybe he's not... Um, Courtois. Maybe. I mean, like... But, yeah. but you know what? He is fucking fantastic. So, you know, chill. <laughs> he's going to be fine. And eventually, Madrid is going to move on from Kaler. And it may very well be next summer. I, in fact, that was my prediction. But right now, he's still a very high-class keeper. I mean, I watched him single-handedly defeat teams in the world cup and then recently with 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 costa rica where they rely on him way more than madrid does and he stands for his country incredibly well uh yeah. so you should t- you know i would encourage you to watch some matches that he plays for costa rica where the, the shots are constantly coming because they're not a good team except for him i um, think i think he'll be fondly remembered when his time is done because he was he was a part obviously the goalkeeper of um one of the best Real Madrid teams of all time and you know, if you go back in Real Madrid's history, it's not like they had a crazy amount of great keepers. I mean, before Casillas, you know, we had we had Ilgner, and then you you need to go back to like some Zamora and some other guys. And um, he's a legend. Yeah, I yeah. Agree. I and and I imagine that they will move on from like you said eventually, and maybe it's De Gea, maybe it's Kepa. I don't know, but you know, great goalkeepers are also kind of rare, and they don't grow on trees and. If you're not Kaler, who are you going to bring in at this point? It's not always clear cut to just write a check to whoever, whichever goalkeeper you want. Yeah. Um, and I think, and the other thing was last season, um, it is a known fact that Zidane and Ronaldo and some of the other guys actually went to Florentino and said, we want to keep Kaler. We like yeah. him. Yeah. Like I mean, him. he's an incredible clubhouse guy. Yeah. And he's, you know, there's actually a Kaler Navas movie coming out um, soon. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, yeah. And it look, it's gonna suck, but he is awesome. So, <laughs> is it gonna you know, suck? Why is it gonna suck? I haven't seen anything of it. Dude, have you it? ever seen a movie about a soccer player? They're terrible. Like Cristiano Ronaldo has a movie. Like I, they're I've all. I've never even seen the Ronaldo awful. one. They're bad. They're just bad. But that's I've okay. I've seen the Pele one on Netflix, which is okay. It's okay, really. That's yeah, better okay. than normal for these movies. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, it's whatever. He's awesome, and. Uh, that is, but that's the crucial thing to remember. Also, is that he's a clubhouse guy, and that's, you know, that's awesome. Everyone loves him, and that's that's part of being a good goalie, right? Go good keeper is to to be a unifying presence that you know no one is going to be, you know, pissed. And and one of the things that in in Casillas's last couple of years he really wasn't right, and that's why when Kaler came in, there was this level of stability in the dressing room that hadn't been there when Casillas was the only keeper. Mm. Um, and I, I'm not trying to I, again. I don't want to reopen this wound. I'm not trying to rag on Casillas. I'm just saying that like his don't overlook his his clubhouse, his uh, dressing room, you know, positives that he brings there because that's not a guarantee. Like I'm not, you know, I haven't heard any negative things about De Gea, particularly in the dressing room, but he has baggage outside of outside of the club that that it's not ideal um okay so i think that's it for us for this week um toss us a couple of bucks on patreon you'll be able to hear our uh midweek show um which is patron only five dollars or more you'll get your question answered if you um decide to toss us uh you know more than that we have escalating rewards up until you, if you you know toss us a you know like a hundred bucks i think we said you can come on the show <laughs> uh Kian, I think that's yeah. one of them. Yeah, so, for true. example, um, we also have a couple others. Like, if you, you know, twenty-five or you know, fifty, we'll write an article for you on your subject of your choice. So that kind of stuff. Um, With, until on uh, that note, we should do patron shoutouts. 
Yeah. Um, so, so patron shout outs. So one of the rewards um, is actually if you if you pledge $10 or more, you get a specific shout out on the podcast. And this list is growing. We actually have a couple new ones just for this episode. So shout out to every single one of our 161 patrons, which is bonkers because no, sorry, 172. It just keeps growing. Can't even keep track. Um, There's only 160 and 60 some last time I checked yeah, 20 so minutes bad. ago. 172. Um, it's incredible. And so shout out to all of you. Shout out to these ones specifically because you pledged $10 or more. Um, Bob Rahal. Oh, my God. I got to scroll through. Okay. Nick DeStefani. Frederick Sundros, Doug Chisholm, Leon Stavernakis, Edna Rose Fuertes, Bjorn Salvador, Jahan Watson, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Bavik Shah, Sergio Monleon, Red Bat, Anthony Vasquez, Yahya Ibrahim, Kenny Goltzler, Gulit Ishmael, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Stephen Mandis, Andrew Gomez, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obeyed, Daniel Smith. You guys are the best. So that was cool. that was that was, was crazy. This is Actually, getting longer. Like, almost blacked out. <laughs> it's so cool. It's so cool. Oh my god. Um. So yeah, thank Amazing. you all so much. Um, and we'll be back with our Patreon only show on um, Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. Um, unfortunately, I guess we'll have some international break stuff, yeah. to which is no one really wants to to even. Unfortunately, it's international break week, so yeah. that I just remember that bumps me out a little bit. That so sucks. give us some cool questions. Give us some like questions about history or some some things that distract us from the international break. Which, right. by the we way, can't... Zidane himself was not thrilled about after the game. Like he was saying, you know what? None of my players are going to get an international break rest, including Gareth Bale, who they don't even want to send. Um, let's just hope. Let's just pray and pray to the gods that. Yeah, this is, is that's the only thing that matters in international breaks is that none of our players get injured. That's literally it. So just, just hope because like God, it would suck. Uh, and yeah, we'll be back. You can ask us whatever. Also, like you can ask any of the junk that that you feel like. Uh, you know, we take other questions other than just about Real Madrid, <laughs> because it's especially because it's international break. All right, uh, we'll talk to you on Wednesday then. Alamadid. Alamadid. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.